0: Hi, I'm Joanne Woodson, a solo practitioner specializing in commercial leasing law. I've been a lawyer for a long time, and I know that there's a lot to wrap your head around when it comes to commercial leasing. The goal of my podcast, the Commercial Leasing Diva Podcast, is to make your lives as commercial leasing professionals easier and more fun. In the podcast, I speak to other commercial leasing professionals who share their expertise so that we can all improve our commercial leasing game and better serve our clients. Today's guest is Felipe Gomez Kraus. Felipe is Chief Revenue Officer and President of Ray's Commercial Real Estate, a specialty boutique firm which helps tenants understand, creatively imagine, and grow their office space both in the San Francisco Bay Area and now they've got offices around the country. Felipe and I have known each other for quite a while. we worked on a number of deals together. He has a really interesting perspective on office and services and real estate. And I hope you enjoy today's conversation. I oh see you.
1: Goodness. I can <laughs> see you too. It's been such a long time. Holy smokes. I know. I know. A, let me, let me do this. I'm sitting at, at a, at a table here in a conference room in an office, if you can believe it. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, how are you? It's been really forever. It's great
0: to see you. I know. I know. I'm doing really well. Um, I'm still solo. I've been solo for almost seven years now. And I live, I relocated probably since I worked with you to Reno, Nevada. Mm -hmm. I I remember, I remember right when, when that had happened and
1: your dogs were in the background and you were like the original, you were the original remote, you know,
0: champion. Exactly. 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 (laughs) Actually, I've been remote for 20 years. So I, can, oh, I, I can say that I've been re- remote for a really long time.
1: I love it.
0: Welcome everybody to the Commercial Leasing Diva podcast. My name is Joanne Woodsom. I'm a solo practitioner specializing in commercial real estate. I'm licensed in both California and Nevada, and I'm super excited to be launching this series of podcasts focusing on commercial real estate in California I'm um, speaking to a number of brokers from lots of different types of markets, as well as um, leasing products, by which I mean different types of real estate, office, retail, life science, et cetera. And today, I'm super happy to welcome uh, Felipe Gomez Kraus, who I've worked with for a really long time, although it's not, been a long time. It's not recently. <laughs> uh, so it's it's a great opportunity for us to catch up. So welcome, Felipe. Um, Thank you. So, Felipe is at an exciting turning point in his career because he has helped launch a new company. So Felipe, welcome. And you want to tell us about your new company.
1: Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Joanne. It's great to see you. I, it's, it's always great to catch up with uh, with old friends. And it feels like we've we've seen uh, we've seen every version of this type of a market. So it's great to to, to have lots to talk about today. Um, but yeah, I mean, since since, uh, you know, the, the, the old days, we've actually uh, started race commercial real estate. And, and, you know, we wanted to really take this industry that that we love and make it one that we're proud of. Um, And in doing that, the hope was to take a truly data-driven approach uh, in how we serve our clients. Um, We're a uh, full-service technology-powered brokerage firm with offices in uh, five major metros and serving clients across the globe. Um, We have uh, not only brokerage services, but workplace solutions and project construction management um and a proprietary technology platform that serves all of those uh, in addition to uh portfolio management and labor analytics so we're sort of equal parts uh eating our own dog food around you know uh, building technology and being you know one of those great startups that we've been lucky enough to serve over our lives um and and building towards that institutional scale that's helping us serve uh clients and
0: occupiers uh, nationally and globally that sounds so exciting. So, uh, is your client base mostly on the tenant side then?
1: Currently, it is. Yeah, we we do represent some some landlords, uh, you know, in the various metros that we're in. Um, but you, you know, we had to start with with what we were always most passionate about. And as as you know, I've been lucky enough to to serve um, occupiers' needs for for my whole career, um, from you know high growth technology companies to. Uh, you know very well established financial services firms, uh, insurance firms, publicly traded companies and and have always just been so passionate about um, the ways that we can improve that experience on all ends, right? Um, and so that was what led us to this. It was taking the best of uh, being able to deliver excellent service but also create a superpower via technology um, and uh, and and use that to to build the future for for our clients and our industry. Uh, so we focus on occupiers um and within that really it is agnostic to vertical um and are you know currently engaged with clients from the very early stage all the way up to large publicly traded companies
0: that sounds so exciting and and it sounds like you're really filling a niche because i often feel bad um the way it works in commercial leasing and it, and i know it's true for often the case for brokers too is you're presented with a lease or in your case you're presented with please find us a location <laughs> and, and then you help negotiate the lease, but then Mm -hmm. you're kind of, the the client disappears and you worry, Uh, at least I worry. (laughs) I worry, like, uh, do they know what's happening when the build out is occurring? Do they understand how to get the lease admin part going? Um, You know, and so it sounds like your company is really working to meet those sort of beginning to end of lease um, needs that tenants have. But a lot of times clients don't understand that they have.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, that's actually a, a, a great um, point. You know, there's so much of our industry that um, you know our, our clients would come to, and every everywhere else in the world, they're they're used to using uh, technology to take large data sets and and you know have uh, the ability to make better, stronger, faster decisions through that. And and you know if you've worked, if you've been through Zillow or Airbnb or DoorDash or any of these experiences where you're able to make um, meaningful decisions based on you know, taking large data sets and having you know, um, what was right for you served in real time. That's only a snippet, however, of the whole process. And so um, at, at Ray's, we have really established workplace-led brokerage where you mentioned people would say, we need to go find a space. Our responsibility is to begin with the why, right? Especially in an environment like we're in right now, what does the built environment mean Right? In terms of how this company expresses its values, its culture, um, what is it as a tool for retention, motivation? Um, how does it foster collaboration? And then, and then once you've done that with an incredible sort of workplace bent, do you understand what the physical footprint, location, building type amenities should be? You get into the build out and then at every one of those stages previously, the client would have an interaction and then the relationship ends if you're capturing all of those with our technology platform and that then turns into the same tool through which our clients are able to manage their portfolio, understand what their spend is, their critical dates, utilization and occupancy, then you're actually creating the first of its kind end-to-end solution. Um so so it's it is the um taking, you know, so much of that learning over the years of uh, the way that brokers w- would, would set themselves in uh, a calendar reminder sometime down the road and say, I think there's a, an expansion option that's going to be due, so I should reach out, right? There are so many better ways uh, for us to take uh, technology and have it really create the superpower for people who care about delivery service.
0: And it strikes me that what I'm hearing, too, is a real sort of seismic shift in the way occupiers are using office space. Back in the day, certainly when I started, um it was i mean you're talking about all this data and all this technology i think in the past our perception was that was not necessary right it was like well i'm a company i'm a law firm i have 100 employees and so that's what i need i anticipate yeah. growing with one or two people over the course of 10 years you know it was just a, there was a lot less data so to speak yeah and you know the build out was Perimeter offices, support staff in the middle. Like there's not all this variation. (laughs) And what we've seen is this seismic shift with you know beginning in the dot coms and the in the you know (laughs) whatever that was uh, through the high techs that we have right now, Mm -hmm. where their way they use space is really different. Mm -hmm. And pre pandemic, of course, what we saw was this intense pressure of density. You know, we need to cram as many bodies in because we really believe that, you know, people in space is sparks creativity and it's good for morale, blah, blah, blah. Now we've got this new factor of how do we deal with remote work? Many companies are like, I want to meet my my my, you know, employees desire to have flexibility and not work in the office. But then we have to go back to, well, how does that affect our office footprint? How does that affect our you know, the amount we want to spend on lease space, how does Absolutely. that affect the markets we want to be in?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I th- that is the ever evolving sort of equation that we're in because what you described in the early days, or, you know, it, it, it has always adapted. And I think technology in the workplace has um, caused a, a meaningful amount of those changes over time, but they were much slower to take place. You right. mentioned a law firm, if you don't have to have a law library on site, then right. imagine right. the footprint that that takes and you extrapolate those little things over time where there were technology impacts right right
0: the, the even the amount of support just, staff
1: well back course. in the
0: day you know there would be one secretary one or two attorneys right now i mean it's fortunately been a while since i've worked at an actual law firm but <laughs> uh it was it got to the point five or six attorneys per one secretary and and right. because you know, all of us workers now are expected to be proficient in technology, able to do our own word processing, able to do basic data entry, like our time, yeah. build time. And so the, even that has changed where the support staff is. You just don't need as much because it's, some of it's been replaced by technology. But but
1: I, I mean, you're completely right. What that speaks to is actually maximizing resources, right? Mm-hmm. It is taking a, a very thoughtful view and asking why around everything. Why is the ratio this way? Right. And the ratio used to be, as you said, a number of square feet per person with whatever the comfort level was of that company. But the baseline for that equation was everybody's coming in. Yeah. So, so yeah. now that the 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 foundation of that equation is no longer the same because the the, the foundation has shifted to people value their flexibility they can be as productive as they would on site if they're allowed to work from other locations, you know, and there is no, it's not a zero sum game, right? I mean, hybrid is gonna be a different model for everybody. And, and I think that, that you couple that acceptance of the fact that hybrid is here to stay, which largely it is, um, with the question, why do people come to the office when they come to the office? Should it even be called an office? How does it serve their needs? Um, and that has actually been one of the most interesting spaces for us to work in because you have to be able to first diagnose a company's values. What are their what are their driving forces in terms of why they would or would not want to have people come together? And if you can distill those beliefs, you can overlay a strategy with that for how the physical environment complements it. And um, and and I you know I still believe we're in the very early days of this. Right. You know, you and I were connected on LinkedIn, and we see the very polarizing uh, arguments about you know remote forever and that is the the, the one truth and then there are you know, the other side where it's you know default together five days a week and the, and the truth is neither of them are right for everybody neither of them are going to be right in perpetuity and it's really going to come down to um, how can we empower occupiers at every stage to figure out what's right for them Right um, so I, it's it's been a, a certainly a wild ride. I mean, you know, we, we talk about what what we, how we've been able to help clients from the beginning of the of the pandemic, which is what started this seismic shift. It was so much based around the health and safety concerns. Right. 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 But the adoption of remote work and flexible work that came as a result of that initial seismic shift is where the quagmire has lived, right? It is where people are finding a much more difficult voice for their own companies, because it no longer is a sort of black and white health and safety, we can have um, extrinsic guidelines tell us what we can and can't do. This now has to become the job of, of incredible people that we're lucky to serve, these workplace leaders and heads of real estate and facilities that are now being asked to compile both qualitative and quantitative data and come up with a, a solution for real-world brick and mortar. you know. So it's it's been a, really a, a, a very interesting time for us. And building for it, building tools that complement how we serve them has been, I mean, it's our life's work. We're having a great time.
0: Well, sometime I'd have to have a whole other conversation about how you collect that data from and how you interact with workplace leaders. But to get back to sort of commercial leasing and letters of intent... <laughs> um, approach, which I would think of as a more holistic approach, is affecting the way you you're approaching letters of intent and the way you're looking to get space for your clients. Right.
1: So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to work across the country re- representing, as I said, you know, clients of, of all sorts of different sizes and with needs that vary based on that, that same new equation. Um, and I think that, that what is true today is that um, the 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 leverage discussion has shifted, right? The the flight to quality has occurred. There is a general acceptance that in order to make a physical environment um, attractive for your employees as a pull, instead of the the stick mandate to bring people back. It has to be of the highest quality in a location that works for, you know, public transit and the like. So that has caused um, a shift in how we talk to to landlords, certainly. Um, The the types of concessions and packages that you're able to achieve on behalf of your clients is, I think, think much more varied and rich than it would have been in the run-up, you know, call it 2015 to 2019,
0: right? Which was Um, pretty much a landlord happy dance. Right,
1: right. (laughs) But but I also want to qualify that with the fact that that it isn't just a time to to trample on landlords, right? Because right. the the partnership that you create, if you're doing it right, um, right, it allows for for you know the, the goals of each party to be achieved, and so the flight to quality um, has certainly occurred, which also means that that the landlords, that institutional and and individual landlords that are lucky enough to be uh, owners of real estate. In either those submarkets or that quality of of asset, it's still very much a landlord's market because you know what what most of these markets were much more spread out geographically as vacancies got very very low in you know the higher quality areas. Um, many more landlords uh, had a chance at the business. Now that funnel has also been impacted. Right, it is not that there are as many tenants looking for as much square footage. However. Those that are committed to the built environment are by and large looking for a higher quality space. Um, What does that mean for us? Right. It means that that we have the opportunity to um, bring some flexibility. Uh, Certainly in a macroeconomic environment like this one, you know, many clients are are looking to make shorter term decisions.
0: Right. I was going to say so so looking for shorter terms or an exit strategy. That is not, yeah. you know, an arm and a leg.
1: <laughs> well, I think shorter term exit strategy and expansion, right? Because right. in low vacancy markets, a path to expansion in a building as, you know, the the, the economic machine begins to turn back on. And and, right. and even if utilization is at 55, 60% today, um, if a company believes that they want to have their people on site uh, for several days of the week and that that's going to continue to grow, they want to have the exit strategy, but they also want to have the expansion strategy. Right. I heard right. a, a great one of our partners here uh, used a, a term that a church is built for Sundays, right? The building is still there, even though it's underutilized potentially for you know, a meaningful amount of time. And so if a company believes that they want to have an excellent space for one to two days a week, they're still going to require a footprint to be committed to. So shorter terms, exit and expansion strategies, absolutely. That's on the one side. On the other side, there there continues to be a meaningful amount of very high quality second generation spaces that have been put on the market on the sublease market. Um, yeah. companies today more than ever are right sizing their headcount. They are using they're using our, our technology and services to to manage their portfolios and understand where they have um, opportunities. Right to either shed some space or grow into additional opportunities. And so I think that that's a much more active pursuit now um yeah. is really understanding how is the space behaving once we've made that that agreement how is the space behaving and how will that inform our decision in the next one three five years right. um so those sublease spaces uh i think they provide an opportunity for lower capex um generally shorter terms if you're using you know the the, the remaining balance but they also bring with them the risks of right. Who is the sub-landlord, you know, how are you, how do you have the certainty in this economic market that that, right. that company is the right bedfellow for you? Right. Um, and so from an LOI standpoint, oftentimes what we're doing is approaching the landlords for a direct basis to either assign the lease, um, to take what we like most about the lease, and then maybe make some direct additions to it. And so right. really, um, flexibility- Are you doing much with
0: non-disturbance? I'm still, are you doing much with non-disturbance with master landlords? Because I'm still seeing master landlords extremely reluctant to give a non-disturbance agreement. By which I mean that if, for some reason, the middle tenant there, the sub landlord, were to go sideways, master landlord rightly exercises its remedies and terminates that lease. Mm. Sub tenant is out in the cold. The way most. Yes. Landlord consents are written basically says I, landlord, can decide at the time that I terminate my tenant whether I keep you on or not, subtenant. And mm-hmm. that is a very uncertain uh, level of risk for many subtenants that makes mm-hmm. subleases not very appealing. So if you could get the landlord to agree right up front, hey, if anything goes wrong with my tenant, I'll keep you on, subtenant, on the terms of your sublease. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I'm seeing master landlords really resist, even in San Francisco, where Obviously, a lot of sublease space on the market, Um, and I'm curious what you're seeing because presumably that's something you have to explain to your clients. Like, if you're the subtenant, this is your big, big risk.
1: It 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 absolutely is uh, something that we will always ask for, always fight for, Um, and advocacy really stems from being able to show a landlord if this plays out in the next several years, what the trend is for available subleases that are going to be competing with this space. What does your comp set look like? What is the tendency in the market for, you know, net absorption look like? And how would that, your space being empty versus not so, right? Because the the the, the risk to the landlord is that they feel emboldened enough, right? To go not uh, allow for that in-place agreement to continue. But the bigger risk is the market will continue to have a meaningful amount of vacancy. It took us, you know, the better part of eight years to get from 20% vacancy down to 3% vacancy, right?
0: After the big recession, yeah.
1: Correct. And so the ability to to really explain that position of, and advocate on our client's behalf of why the stability that our client represents in being there should be recognized. Um, We've we've had some success with it, uh, to be honest with you. And it really comes down to that sort of the, the full contact discussion of advocating for who our client is, advocating for, um, you know, the partnership that you can create that becomes longer term, even if you are starting by just taking a sublease. Right. Um, and hopefully that presents enough of an attractive, uh, you know, out, output for landlords who are seeing not only vacancy in their own assets, but in the neighborhood right. And knowing that all of that will have to be up taken before, you know, this, this empty space would take place. So, you know, that and yeah. prop 13, I mean, these are, these are things that we, we would not have had success with period, right. previously. Right. Right. Um, but now a, a complete negotiation absolutely has to have a full discussion. Right. on them. It doesn't mean that you're going to be successful every time. Right. However, right. um, it's a pawn on the table in terms of the horse trading. Right. Um, that is much more prevalent today. Right, right.
0: So it sounds like when you're talking to clients, really thinking about the way space is used. And we talked a little bit about law firms and just as an example of a sort of a conservative (laughs) footprint, how even that's changing now that we don't have to have real physical books anymore. So you don't have to have a giant part of one of your floor (laughs) plates devoted to the law library. Um, But what are you seeing in terms of trends in the way that the clients want to use the space i mean you know back in the like i said pre-pandemic cram as many people in but there would be some lush things in the high-tech you know commercial kitchens where food is available all the time by professional people preparing it and you know maybe a place to play pool or whatever so are there particular things that like how are you getting people to go back to the office this is like the big thing that everyone talks about like how do we make the office where people want to go again.
1: Yeah. Joanne, it's it's a great question. And there, there isn't a one size fits all. And I know that that's a, you know, sort of a trite answer, but I will say this, the, the trends that we see, um, are certainly around a high quality space. That's easy to get to, right. Let's, let's make that sort of the table stakes, right. Um, from there, it really does vary. The one thing that is true is that density of desks, Packed in at 125 square feet per person is gone and is very likely not coming back. Trends around.
0: Frankly, I don't know how anyone tolerates. <laughs> <laughs> I would go visit my clients, and you know, I would go to the, the legal department. You yeah. know, eighty thousand square foot temp, You know, floor plate. Yeah. And the legal department was five long benches with ten people at the bench. I'm like, How, yeah. how do you even function? I don't well, know and,
1: and and think about the, the in a legal department, the, the privacy concerns and the like with that. I mean, it's just right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'll tell you what, when you think about whether the density is 125 square feet per person or 250 square feet per person, the things that matter are how that individual's experience uh is impacted by by the way that they're going to use the space. So today, it is very likely that more than 50, 60, 70% of uh, the meetings that occur from two to 10 people are going to have some element of hybrid. Some right. of the people in that meeting are going to be on site and some of them are going to be uh, remote. Right. And and for that to work, technology has to be as, 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 as much in the forefront as anything else, right? right. There cannot be a limiting factor the next thing that has become a real challenge that that you know several companies are getting ahead of is the number of of meetings that would have previously happened in person that are just one-to-one zoom or video conference meetings the phone booths that was already happening in 2018 and 19 but again now table stakes the ratio of seat to uh to phone booth and i you know I've, i've been lucky enough to be in offices of you know fortune 100 companies in various metros, and the the workplace leaders uh, have all said that the lead times for ordering phone booths are longer than ever. Because as this return is happening, it's the one of the biggest pieces of feedback is I'm perfectly happy to come in, but if three or four of my calls require video
0: conferencing, I need to have that separate. Right. Space. I can't sit at an open bench, even if okay. there's only two other people at my bench. it's that, that's exactly to, to to be that's doing right. these calls. I I have to be in a some sort of encapsulated space.
1: That's right. And so if you're able to, as a company, address the health and safety concerns, the commute concerns um, and the manner in which people are interacting, both in person and hybrid. Um, the next thing that, that we are you know, hearing a lot of and our workplace solutions team is working with hundreds of companies, writing playbooks and operationalizing right. those playbooks. Right. Um one of the I things really
0: have uh, architects that help you with all this as well. Oh yeah. yeah. As, I mean it's it
1: is, it is creating options on on floor plans and trying to impute as much flexibility into those floor plans as possible because as I said we're not done this is going to continue to change over time. Even in our right. own offices we've changed the ratio of desks based on our utilization data, right? right. So so we're we're look we're looking at badge data. We're looking with partners like Envoy, for example. We're, we're able to gather um, you know, with flex providers, for example, because one of the things that I'd love to talk about as well is the percentage of uh exposure of a total portfolio that most many companies are seeing of flex versus traditional leasing, because there's, there's a there's a title shift there. It's also a place where you can get so much data around who's coming, when are they coming, and how do we build for that. Right. So if you've got that first part answered and you've got a, a data driven approach to you know figuring what what you do in the space, the last piece that has been fascinating is um, what is the programming? What is and by programming I mean are there events, guest speakers? Are there you know happy hours? Is there? Um, it's not that the, what we used to know as the amenity package of chair massages and 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 laundry necessarily. But rather, how are you bringing people together with thoughtful programming that's done consistently? So it's not just one, hey, we're back to work party, but rather creating the muscle memory and bringing um, programming into place that that fosters a community. It fosters people discussing uh, whatever that programming was about um, right. and also creates hopefully some sense of, of desire for there to be more. And so and that do you see wellness
0: is as a component of that? Because I'm we sorry, were sort I'm of on the that. cusp, you know, and I, I think Salesforce and other companies have been on the cutting edge of this, of really integrating wellness into the workplace. But since the pandemic, I just feel like even stodgy old lawyers are suddenly going, oh, wellness, that's like mental health, physical health, this is key. And you don't just... You know walk in the office and that gets left behind that's, that's right. intric- you know how the space is built whether there's natural light like all these things that were sort of percolating and percolating but now i feel like it's becoming very significant as to whether i want to go into an office yeah. how you know how that space is in terms of plants and light and everything
1: joanne you're spot on because what has happened during the, the, I mean, again, I'll go back to the initial shock to the system went so that a company went from having three workplaces to having 3,000 workplaces, right? And what that did was it took-
0: we were going crazy. I mean, not well, until yeah. March, 2020, we were going crazy with deals and our clients were growing. And I, I assume what, and this is obviously a total uh, sidebar, but I assume what your company- has done is said okay we learned a lot from you guys growing so fast yeah and we're stealing now we're feeling the sticker shock and let's look back and think about was that really a growth that you know sometimes you just felt like it was the headline from the ceo's office we're just yeah. growing so at least yeah. more space as opposed yeah. to more data-driven yeah. thoughtful
1: <laughs> I, uh, I i I mean I'm I'm, I'm proud and, and happy to say that over the course of my career and with our partners there were many more times that we dissuaded growing companies from taking a bigger bite than they should have because yeah. in in retrospect those obligations for many years at many millions of dollars were all predicated upon up into the right hockey stick growth and and Absolutely. you know if you do truly act like it is your dollars on the line that are being spent then you know you, you oftentimes are more apt to take a more conservative approach knowing that there are ways that your you know real estate partner should be able to find flexibility for you um right. but but i think you know from a from a health and wellness standpoint or from and a mental health standpoint um the individual's experience is more important now than ever because you are asking that individual to choose, right? If we're talking about a return to office or a managed hybrid, which is, you know, our definition, there's flexible hybrid and then managed, hybrid managed hybrid. Um, you're, you're asking them to make a conscious choice between what they know in their home, which is their current workplace and to come and participate, you know, for certain times or, or days in yours. And, um, with that, you have to acknowledge that there was a collective trauma that we all went through and that there has been subsequent to that, a change in the way that people work. And that is not only a change in the way that people work, but a change in the way that they interact with their families, the hours of the day that they're available to do certain things, results oriented work versus FaceTime for the sake sake of FaceTime. And so um, I think that physical wellness, right? The the hope that people are getting up and out and doing things together as the, the sort of health and safety COVID concerns have subsided and look, they're going to rear their ugly head and that's yeah. going to happen to us as an endemic for the rest of our lives in some form or another at this point. That's my my take on it. And and so the, the physical wellness aspect of it is very important. Right. But being able to get people um, together and and really lean into the fact that together is oftentimes better to address mental health issues that people are uh, in otherwise suffering through in isolation. Um, there are plenty of ways that you can have programming around that, right? right. The, the number of, of incredible coaches and um, tools that you can put into place for the human experience and all in an effort to have that person feel connected, happy, and productive, right? So it's, right. It's a, you said it's a much more holistic view. Um, yeah. And I think that the companies that will be most successful as it relates to uh, having their values and their culture expressed in a physical place are looking at the whole human.
0: I think one of the interesting things and I've read several articles about about this uh, fallout from the pandemic is we were all zooming from home and we all learned a lot more about each other. We also learned a lot more about compassion, because we were all suffering so everybody's suffering was different. But there were a lot, obviously a lot of commonalities, you know, stuck at home, can't go out, worry about loved ones, worry about loved ones living with you and the ones that aren't living with you. Yeah. Caretaking, you know, all of a sudden, the person that maybe was not so involved in the caretaking in their home is now seeing their partner and what caretaking they were doing. And now, you know, and your coworkers like, oh, I didn't realize that your aged mother lived with you. Gosh, or I didn't realize that you had five children under two or whatever, right? Gosh, that's, you know, and I, I, I feel like it has opened up the workplace in a way that I never thought I would see in my lifetime, in a way that I think is really good Because at least I think it has given us a lot more compassion and looking at workers in the round and go, okay, when you say, you know, if if you had said five years ago to your boss, the commute is really hard for me, you know, if I could work from home one or two days a week, now just shoot you down. but after the pandemic they're like oh right you have little tommy and jimmy that have to go to daycare and and the one has the little asthma that you have to take him for a special treatment okay you know it's like yes we can accommodate that you need this extra flexibility because i saw in person how great you are as a worker and how you struggle as a parent because you're trying to be a good worker so i hope i hope that it's it can have that positive impact.
1: Joanne, the 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 that a request like that in the previous structure would have been demonized. It would have been a mark against yeah. that individual, right? Slacker. And, and and where we are today is that that the whole human has been thrust into the public eye with their colleagues. And their colleagues in turn have had their whole humanness delivered uh, to, to their colleagues. And so And so, you know, I agree with you that that's very much the case.
0: I'm Joanne Woodsum. Thanks for listening to the Commercial Leasing Diva podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, rate and review us, like, and subscribe. You know the drill. The Podcast is produced by Sandy Viteri and edited by Matthew Salanoa. Thank you so much again, and we'll see you next time.